you ever been betrayed or backstabbed? Um, I was thinking of this one story. It's one of my favorites. There's tears, there's anger, there's hurtfulness. All of it's wrapped in together to make a great, maybe a TV show or even a YouTube clip, maybe a funny gif. I don't know. But this is not my story. This is a story that I've heard lots of times uh, shared over family dinners. And this this young gentleman will remain anonymous. Um, but a year, maybe 15 years ago-ish, and uh, it was at the pier. And at the pier, uh, you can buy these long churros, and they wrap it in paper, and you can hold on to it. And this young gentleman was walking along the pier, just enjoying his day, his life. I mean, if you have a churro in your hand at the ocean, like, there is nothing better. It, like, that is the epitome of just, like, comfort and, like, niceness and excellent. Like, that's a great way to have a day, right? So he's sitting there enjoying his churro. He has on the paper, just big smile. And out of nowhere, a seagull swoops in, grabs a churro, rips it out of his hand, and flies away. Distraught, hurt, sad, all the emotions. He was backstabbed by nature while he was just trying to enjoy nature and have a churro. Have you ever, have you ever maybe it doesn't have to be that comical, but have you ever felt that? Not the churro being ripped out of your hand, but that feeling of backstabbing or betrayal or, or just hurt. Maybe it wasn't a seagull and maybe it was another person. Have you ever felt that? In a moment, we're going to jump into uh, Genesis chapter 37 with one of the top ultimate betrayals in the Bible. Ultimate backstabbings, if you will. And I love looking at the story because this guy has gone through everything. This is the story of Joseph, right? The ultimate backstabbing, one of the top. I think Judas is probably, that, that, like, that's the top. That one tops it. <laughs> but Joseph is up there. And it, it's just, it's a fascinating story because he just keeps having bad situation after bad situation. And the crazy thing is he doesn't lose hope. And I love this story because we're in the middle of our Can't Cancel Hope series. And it's a, such a great example to look at. We've looked at people that have been trapped in a boat, trapped in a cave, stuck in places, have just endured and have not lost hope. So Joseph is another one. Can't cancel hope. So looking at Genesis 37, starting near the beginning, verse 5, says, Now Joseph had a dream. And when he had told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. That's not a great way to start a story, right? Just instantly start in hatred with your own family. I did not mean to look at my wife at that moment. <laughs> but that's not, the, that's not the greatest start, right? And I want to look at this through the lens of Joseph having this dream, which in reality, turned out to be the hope of this nation, right? This was just a small facet, a small glimpse that Jesus was speaking to his heart about, about giving him this dream, which, which was in reality the direction of his entire life leading up to saving a nation out of famine. God used Joseph, but Joseph had to endure through that dream, through that hope. Well, the, the brothers didn't like it, and they symbolically represent how the enemy works. Okay? 
So what happens when you find yourself hurting in a hopeless situation or getting backstabbed? Like there is nothing worse. Like it's just that imagery and that verbiage backstabbing like that is so gruesome and so visual. But that's how it feels. Like the closer someone is, the more it hurts. Right? Have you ever had a close loved one or a close friend? Just you feel that. And so how do you have hope through it all of when someone does wrong to you? Genesis 37, we're going to jump a few verses down to verse 23 and pick it up to the story of what the brothers actually do to Joseph because they hate him. They're frustrated. They're angry. Joseph is the favored one of the family. He's the favorite son of the father. And they decide, let's deal with him. We're done with this. So verse 23. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore. And they took him and threw him into a pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. Then they sat down to eat and looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead, where their camels bearing gum, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry to, down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, What profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites. So it's, it's from bad to worse to the ultimate thing, right? It's just like, let's take his clothes, let's throw him in a pit, and now let's just sell him into slavery, right? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and not let our hand be upon him. For he is our brother, our own flesh, and his brothers listened to him. Then Midianite traders passed by, and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. They took Joseph to Egypt. Now, I want us to have the lens very specifically. Let's put ourselves as in the shoes of Joseph. Okay, we represent Joseph in this story in this moment for, for this sermon specifically. And the brothers represent the, the attacks of the enemy. What the enemy tries to do to steal our hope away. Okay, and it's very specific of, of practically what they're doing and then how it impacts us in our lives today. The tactics of the enemy are usually just pretty simple. They affect you externally in hopes to hurt you internally. Right? You know that saying, like, we need to have thick skin? Well, it's a, it's a tested true kind of thing, because the enemy attacks us externally to try to permeate internally so that we disconnect from our mindset and our hope and our peace and our faith and our beliefs. But the enemy can only impact external situations in hopes to derail us internally. This is where believers usually get in trouble, by letting what happens on the outside affect what's going on within the inside. So looking at the, the three things that the brothers did, we're going to break these down individually. So number one, they stole his robe. That's the very first thing that they did. And I don't know if you know this, but in this context, in this location, in this region of this time, your outer garment, your robe, the very thing that you had on the very outside represented your identity. 
it it showed what tribe you were from, what location, what city. It had certain textiles and patterns and colors that represented that location specifically. Also, your trade, what you did for a living. So if you're a fisherman or if you worked with sheep or, or whatever, it would be cut to represent that. It was, it was really interesting how your outer garment showed everyone from a distance what and who you belong to. It was the entire identity. And I, I think this really weighs in on believers today. The first thing the enemy really wants to do is to steal your identity away. The, the thing that you represent the most. And that the pivotal thing to take away on this one is this robe of multicolors represented the special relationship between father and son. Right? And it's, it's identity. Our identity is our special relationship between our father and us. That's what our identity is. It's, it's what it shows to the world the relationship we have. And, and we need to dive into this a little bit more because ultimately our identity is what we know about on the inside. It's I know I am a son of the King Most High. I know who my father is. I know that I have been adopted into this, this relationship with God through Jesus. And the crazy thing is the enemy tries to attack us on the outside of removing our identity. If we start saying, oh, I, I love Jesus and I love this and I do this. And, and the enemy will try to stop at nothing to prevent us from doing that. Mm-hmm. So that it triggers from outside to inside. Right? This, this is what the enemy tries to do all the time. Oh, don't say that. Don't do that. Oh, uh, you know, someone hurts us, so we put up guards and we don't want to talk about Jesus anymore. We put up guards, so we don't want to do this or that or this. And we stop projecting our identity to the outside world, but in reality, that's, that's wrong. We need to be who we are. We can't be something different on the inside and outside. We need to be the same person all the time. The crazy thing is, these brothers represent the world to us. They represent what happens. You know, things get stolen away. Things, you know, the frustrations. And and I think at this time period, what was interesting is the, the enemy had to physically remove the external identity. But in today's day and age, I, I really see this happen a lot is if when we see the enemy start coming, we immediately take off our external identity and throw it away. Oh, I, I, I'm scared. I don't want to deal with it. Oh, I, I. And we don't even put up a fight. You know, the enemy tries to swoop in and, and steal, and now we're so afraid on the outside to show who our identity and true, real person is, we'd rather just give up our external identity and just let it go. Oh, the enemy's coming. I better just, I better just hide. Um, last I checked, Jesus won. The enemy's been defeated. And, and we can put up a fight. Amen. We are called. We, we are adopted into this faith. His robe represented his special relationship to the Father. Your identity represents your special relationship to the Father. 
our, our identity as a child of God, friend of Jesus, this hope-filled believer. I'm, I'm just, it's so discouraging to see believers throw their external identity away so fast. Like, what's happening internally to their identity? Is it that weak to believe that God can't step up and show up? The enemy will always try and steal who we are on the outside in hopes we lose who we are on the inside. Because if the enemy can discourage us just enough where we have to hide who we are on the outside, we'll start believing that on the inside. And then number two, they threw him in a pit. They threw him in a pit. This is... Can you, I mean, the scene is just insane on this one. The, the, I looked up the Hebrew word for pit here. It's well, you know, where they pull water from. But this one was empty. It was dry. And so they threw him in this well, and then it says they had lunch. What kind of scene is happening here? Right? Can you imagine taking a family member, grabbing him, ripping off their jacket, throwing him into a dry well and then just eating lunch as if nothing happened I mean this is so it almost goes into like cartoon comical where it's like they're trying to cover up the hole just eating a sandwich nothing to see here nothing to move along hope no one saw us throw our brother in you know it, this is a crazy situation going on so then I did a I did a study on uh, well or pit right this same word, well, is used as two different ways in the Hebrew. It was either the well was empty or the well was full. And then what it was used for, depending on if it was empty and when it was full, were completely different and unique items. So whenever a well was empty, it was used for prisoners. right? So empty wells were used for prisoners or people that were uh, stealing or murderers or stuff like that. Right? They were a prisoner, and so they were thrown in a dry well. But if the well was full, it was used for a wellspring of life. It was a well where water would be drawn from and supply life to families. Just, just let that sink in for a moment. So a dry well was for prisoners, but a full well was for providing life. Um, man, this is this is so crazy. How how is your well? What is your well like? Are you do you feel like your well is dry inside? So much so where you just feel a prisoner in this life? Or is your well full where you feel like life is just coming out all the time? And the symbolic representation, the, the imagery here is just so visual. A dry well is for captivity, but a full well is for life. And it, it really just starts giving the imagery of when Jesus was talking to the woman at the well and he's sitting on top of it. And he says, if you drink from my well, you'll never thirst again. And he's echoing down this very well and he's, it comes full circle. And then the, the crazy thing is, if you look up all the, all the times that well is mentioned in the Bible, 
you see empty wells and you see full wells. But then sometimes in the Bible, it says that the empty wells were empty because they were clogged by the enemy. An enemy raider would come in and fill up the wells so that people couldn't draw life anymore from it. They were clogged. They were filled. You couldn't draw any water from it. And I, I want to speak almost an encouragement to you today. If you feel like you're well, your life just feels dry and like you're feeling like you're a prisoner in your own life, in your own situations... The Bible references when you come across a dry well, you have to dig deep to remove all the clogs from it so that the water will spring up again. The clogs represent the sin in our lives or the things that we've bought into from the enemy, any lies that we think about ourselves, anything that would stop us from having the life of Jesus spring in our life daily. Is there something in your life that Maybe you feel like it's just clogging up your well so that it is dry and desolate and you feel like a prisoner because it's time to dig deep. Get rid of whatever the enemy has tried to stock up the life spring of your life from so you can move forward. The enemy loves keeping us in dry, dark places. So much so that that's the common attack of the enemy feel like we're falling into a pit and we can't get out. When in reality, the wellspring of life is just feet below where we stand. And we just have to dig deep rather than being discouraged of, I can never get out of this. Everything you need is right there. And number three, they sold him into slavery. Right? That's not good. <laughs> it's so bad. Being sold by your own loved ones, the people you were born with, trusted, and grew up with, right? Into slavery, into a different country. Like they won't even see him again is what they thought. They did see him again later on. Man, that is the worst. Looking at this one, slavery or becoming a servant the, the entire premise of that, if you look up the Hebrew word and you understand this, this idea is that your entire life belongs to another. That person tells you what to do. That person get, has control of your life. That person has purchased you from the past owner. Right? And so they sold him into slavery. They sold him so that someone else would have control over his life. The enemy wants to make you think that other people have control over your life. Right? If you have uh, anything going on in your life where someone else is saying, you need to do this and you need to do this and you, that is buying into them having control of your life. That's not, that's not true. There's only one person who owns our lives because he bought our lives with his own blood that was shed on the cross. No one else has the authority to purchase that back from Jesus. Right? I mean, can you imagine someone walking up to Jesus like he shows up on this earth and he has the holes in his hand and the holes in his feet and he walks up and he's talking to you and he, he purchased your life and they're like, hey, you know what? 
hey Jesus, can I can I trade you for for that life? How much would you how much would you pay? You know, I think he would just laugh. Like, are you kidding? It's like a matter of fact, I purchased your life too. Do you want to you want to join us? Like that that that's the idea here. The enemy wants to make you think that other people have control of your life and they don't. Only Jesus has the ability to say, I have purchased your life. I can speak into your life. I have ownership to make sure the enemy can't destroy your life. And not only that, I have uh, full authority and fatherhood to where when you die, you go to heaven into my house. That is the inheritance of what I have purchased in your life. And as a believer, we know we only serve one. Whatever your situation is, listen and obey what Jesus leads you to do. Right? If you look at the, the history here, when Joseph goes out, we don't have enough time to jump into his whole story. But as he's in slavery, his owners would tell him what to do and he would obey. And that's the idea of when we're in trouble in a situation, we need to listen to God and Jesus and hear what he is speaking to us and obey. Right? That's, our, that's our rule. That's, that is how we function in this life because he has purchased our lives with his blood. So I want to look at towards the end of the story of Joseph. So start flipping Genesis chapter 50. Uh, move along in the Bible. We're going quite a ways down. No one and no thing can cancel your hope. The, the most amazing thing in Joseph's story to me is by all means, he should have given up hope at any point of this journey. Right? His favorite jacket thrown off. You know, I could live with that. My favorite jacket was stolen. Okay. My own family throwing me a hole because they don't want me anymore and decide if they're going to murder me while eating lunch. You know, I would have some hard feelings. But then when they sold me to slavery, I'd be like, oh, oh, oh no. My life's over. Right? Hope. He never canceled hope. He didn't lose hope. He went to be with one slaver, and then he was thrown into jail. He went to another, you know, and it just kept going on and on. And eventually, he made his way up to where he was able to impact an entire nation that was dealing with famine. But he never lost hope. And he has this brilliant sentence. Genesis chapter 50, verse 19 through 20. These are the brothers coming to go get rations almost like food stamps or a stimulus check, if you will, because they're dying of starvation. There's a famine here. They go up to the person who's in charge. Surprise, it's their brother that they thought was dead. They go to him, and then he says, but Joseph replied, verse 19, don't be afraid of me. Am I God that I can punish you? You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. Right? It breaks down three things that Joseph did in retaining hope through the th three things that the enemy tried to steal away. So breaking those down and paralleling them, how do we deal with identity? The first one, I am not God. Right? That's what Joseph says. I'm not God. But Joseph replied, don't be afraid of me. 
am I God that I can punish you? He's essentially saying, I'm not God. God is in control. God is in charge. I'm Joseph. I listen to God. He's the man. How do we deal with, with our identity? Is we've got to make sure that we know that we're not in charge of our lives. We are not God. God is God. Jesus is Jesus. We report to him. He is in control of everything. So our identity needs to be that. It is the special relationship of father and son, father and daughter. And as long as you hold on to that, you will not lose hope. I am a son of God. And nothing that comes against me will destroy me. Right? That is how he held on to hope is you realize, I'm not God, and he kept on to that hope this whole time. How do we deal with feeling like the world threw us in a pit? Number two, God is in control. Going back to verse 20, it says, You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. We realize that we can't look for the blame moment in situations. Right? Why is this happening to me? Why, why am I here? Who did this? Why is this happening? That's not constructive to you or anyone. Trying to find an scapegoat or a person to blame is not going to help. The number one thing that's going to help when you feel like your life is in a pit is realizing God's going to use this for good. God is going to find me here. He already sees me here. And now... I'm going to be surprised at how he's going to use me through this. When we start trying to have this perspective of, okay, I'm looking for God here in this situation. I'm looking for God to do something here. Okay, is it this? Is it this? It takes our mind off of the blame game and onto the praise game. That's where we get shifted in our mindset. And we can't lose hope when we're praising God, looking for him to move. And then number three, the last one, how do we deal with, with loss of control, right? Meaning, how do we deal when others try to take control of our lives? Like the illustration of when the, the brothers sold Joseph into slavery, how do we feel like when we're not in control anymore? The verse says, going back to 20, you intended to harm me, but God intended for all for good. And then this is the key. He brought me, he brought me, circle brought me, he brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. Number three, how do we deal when we feel like we lost control? We realize he brought me. The only reason I'm here right now is because God led me here. And if he led me here, he can lead me through it. If God led me here, he can lead me out of here. There is a purpose and a reason of why you get into situations. And God always has the answer. Because what the enemy intended for harm, God intended for good. So when we had this realization of not that, oh, the God is trying, you know, the enemy is trying to destroy me and all, all hope is lost and all these blah, blah, blah. And we realize God is using this situation, just like in point number two. God led me here, and he's going to lead me through it. We don't lose hope anymore. We can't cancel hope. Jesus is leading you. 
like you led Joseph. That's the key to all of this. When you feel betrayed, when you feel backstabbed, when you feel anything like your world is crashing down on you, God led you here, and he's going to lead you out of here. I want to challenge you, just as, we, as we're wrapping up this time, I think a key takeaway to what I'm feeling a lot of people dealing with is dry seasons of their life. If you feel like you're in a dry season right now, can I challenge you to, to dig deep, like I said earlier? I know that, that God led us to the scripture to really present today and, and bring to life, but I know there's a lot of people that feel dry. And if that's you, it, it's really the enemy trying to imprison you in that dryness. Would you dig deep, just like in that well, to find the well of life that is Jesus that will supply all your needs? Amen? Amen. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, we know you're moving in our lives. We, we are hungry for you. We are excited for you. And we want to see you move. Or whatever situation we're facing, whatever... Uh, we're going through. Hopefully it's not a, a real pit that we are sitting in right now. But that we would keep our eyes focused on you and we would not lose hope. Jesus, be with us right now. I pray that as a lot of people watching this have said they feel dry or, or they feel like they're in a dry situation, that you would be with them every step of the way as they dig deep in their spiritual walk with you to find that ever, everlasting water, that everlasting drink of life that you reference when you speak to the woman at the well. Lord, be with us this week. In your mighty name, amen. amen. Well, we absolutely miss doing life with you all. We miss the hugs and the smiles and the getting together for dinners. Um, and, and I know that Zoom calls um, are, and virtual calling, it is, it's a poor substitute for being able to just be face-to-face -face with someone. Um, but please know that it's so important to stay connected, to stay in conversation with one, another, with one yeah. another and sharing those stories or sharing the hard stuff too so know that we are all there for each other you can call us you know we'll, we'll spend time talking with you playing games with you whatever it is that you need at that time so please 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 stay connected um, and if you need if you need to get in touch with us know that you can always go to lighthouse805.com and um, fill out that contact form we, we see them I promise you <laughs> and so we'll be in touch with you that way too um, secondly we are um, so excited to be continuing to raise funds for our children, children's ministry. Um, so you can keep on giving through our lighthouse805.com through our giving page. You can designate funds to that, um, and you can also fill out your tithe and offering there while you're at while you're at it. Um, so it's really exciting to see what we have in the future for our our children's ministry. Um, and then we are going to be having lots of fun activities and. Um, Things to be doing leading up to Pentecost that's coming up soon and so our first one will be happening this coming up Thursday so make sure to stay on the lookout through the newsletter and through our social media through Instagram and Facebook at Lighthouse 805 um, to have some announcements on that of what what's coming up so stay tuned on that if you do not uh, get the newsletter or don't have a way to access social media 
fill out the contact form and we can get you on our mailing list. We won't spam you, I promise. <laughs> but um, you'll be connected with what's going on with, with that, these fun activities. It's going to be really good. I'm so excited for that. Yeah. Um, next, Children's Ministry are starting, they are starting their new series later on today. So make sure you get in touch with Pastor Pat. Um, you can also go to lighthouse805.com, fill out that contact page, and we'll get you the information for children's ministry. It is exclusively a Zoom uh, meeting um, that they're going to be having a Zoom call uh, to be able to go through that curriculum together and be able to um, just be together as, as children's church, you know, as it yeah. should be. Um, so it's going to be lots of fun. So please uh, look out for that later on today. Get in touch with us if you need that information. Um, and finally, ladies... I had an absolute blast at our, our paint night together. Um, it was really lots of fun. I um, was a little, to be honest, I was nervous about how it would go, but it was just such a blast. So please uh, stay stay tuned. We are going to be having more of those. Um, so many people have been asking me about it, and so we will have more. I promise you, and I will let you know when those happen. Um, so be excited, because I am. <laughs> All right. We love you guys. Have a great Sunday. Can't wait till we're meeting again in person and uh, we'll see you later. We love you guys.